You finished? You tried? <laughs> I didn't want to interrupt you, you know. Um, I am so happy to be here. I'm, I'm so excited they finally let me come up here. I'm usually down in Austin, and um, I've been envious of Russ and his family because they get to come up here with you. I've been up here. I was here during the retreat. So who was at the retreat? Yay! We had a great time, didn't we? So a lot of you I recognize, and of course some of you I know very well. And um, But I just wanted to tell you a little bit about myself. Of course, my name is Kim Swafford, and I am from Alabama, if you can tell. <clears throat> and Dell and I moved here about five and a half years ago. So I grew up in Alabama, raised my kids in Alabama, went to Auburn University. So I'm like steeped in. My roots are there. I still am an Alabamian. And except for a short period of time after I graduated from college, I did mission work in Europe. But for the most part, I lived there. Grew up in a little town called Trustful. So I really relate to a little town more than I relate to a big city. Even though the little town that I lived in was close to the big city. It was near Birmingham. And uh, I grew up in the time in Birmingham when there was a lot of civil rights upheaval. And I was in high school during the time of segregation. And then when I was in the 10th grade, they started integrating. So it was, it could, it was really a difficult time. But during that time, that is when the Holy Spirit came in and just did a work in our high school. I went to Irwin High School. And there were several of us that got radically saved, ridiculously saved, didn't have any idea what was in this book. But we were full of God and full of the Holy Spirit and loved each other. That was like such a defining thing in our lives. And we, we just, it made a huge impact in the city. As a matter of fact, there was a movie called Woodlawn that came out. And it's about the movement that I was in. So if you run across it, you probably can get it at a Christian bookstore or something like that. But it, it pretty much narrows in on this one high school about a football player. But if you, that was my time. My brother played football, and it was just an explosion of the Spirit of God. It was during the Jesus movement, so we were very free extremely free. I did grow up in a Methodist church, but we were not good Methodist church goers. Um, I have wonderful parents, uh, but we didn't really talk about the Bible. We didn't pray as a family about certain things. We would, we would say, God is great. God is good. Let us thank you for our food. By his hands, we are fed. Thank you, God, for daily bread. Did y'all, do y'all know that little pray. That's, that's what we would pray. But my parents, because of the way that they raised us with good godly principles, and I don't know if they really realized it, we were ripe when the gospel came to us. Because the church that I belonged to never presented the gospel. So I had to go to this revival, and it was Author Blessed. Anybody ever heard of Author Blessed? He's a guy that carried the cross across the United, walked across the United States with this cross. And he came to a Baptist church in Birmingham. So we went to the revival, and he was doing cheers for Jesus. Give me a J, J. We thought that was great. We didn't know that you didn't do that in church, especially at that time. 
And so that's what I grew up with. We ended up being a part of a, a youth group. We went to camp. The Holy Spirit was just amazing, and the Lord did amazing things. He poured out His Spirit on us. We had no idea. We weren't taught this, but we read it in the Bible. And that is my that's my background. I've been part of Methodist Church. I've been part of Baptist Church. I've been part of Independent Church. I've been part of Assembly of God Church. And I love them all. Because in every one of them, there have been people that have loved God and are full of the Spirit of God. So the body of Christ is not necessarily an organization. It is people that come together that love God. And I gravitate to that. And I realize how important community is. Now, I don't want you to be looking at me right now and think that I've got it together. Because I don't, I don't necessarily have it together, do I? Do I, Gil? So, you know, in this life, so I'm 58 years old. We came here at 53. The Lord just up and said, we want you to move. He orchestrated some things, so we came. It was very uncomfortable but exciting. The adventure is exciting. But we've had up times and down times. And, and right now, we're kind of in a little crisis. But you know what? It is the body of Christ that is helping us through this time. So I want you to know that. I don't come to you saying that I have it all together. But what I'm going to talk to you about is something that is near and dear to my heart because it has helped me so much. And uh, I grew up in a family that's very close-knit, uh, extended family is close-knit. We loved our neighbors. We, we were very friendly. So we learned it as children. To have a friend, you need to be friendly. So, you know, when you learn something when you're small, it seems to stay with you better, whether it's positive or negative, right? And so some things you have to undo, but some things are good that you learned. You were trained. And so we were trained in community. We were trained in loving people and having a good time with people. And uh, so we're going to start a new series called Community Where You and I Belong. Because we are, we're not, it's not just this one location on Highway 71 in Spicewood. You are connected to Austin and Kyle. Now, it can be a little unnerving, right? When you're joined with somebody else that is a little bit different. Because Austin is different than a little town, right? It is completely different. As a matter of fact, I felt like the Lord said to me when we came, I want you to listen. When you go, I just want you to listen. Because he knew that it would be so different than where I came from in the little town of Trustful. He said, I want you to listen for a while, like three or four years. So I've been listening, trying to figure it out. And, uh, but one thing the Lord has taught me through this, that one defining thing in all of it is that you just love people. You love people if they're different than you, if they think different than you, you love people. And not to be judgmental. Because we all come with ideas, we all come with prejudices, we all come with cultural things, and sometimes we say those cultural things are the gospel and they are not. And so we have to be immersed into the Word of God to figure out what is culture and what is gospel. My niece is married to a guy from Finland. He's a pastor there. They're actually, the Finnish church sent him to Nepal as missionaries. <clears throat> But actually, he wrote a paper when he was in getting his master's. <clears throat> he wrote a paper, and the difference between 
uh, but the difference between what is culture and what is gospel. Because it, 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 I grew up in a different culture, but the gospel has sustained me. And I would imagine that, you know, you, you I see, I felt like the Lord actually revealed this to me, that we have adopted each other. One chapel, hey, there's a dog in here. <laughs> Is that your dog? Daniel. <laughs> Daniel brought a dog to church. That's awesome. So, <laughs> you know, he feels comfortable, doesn't he? Now, I don't think I have ever experienced a dog in church. Have you? Except if Daniel's been coming and bringing the dog. Oh, that's a new one. But, um, so I imagine, I, I was seeing it. Lord, how, explain to me how, what you have done here. And he has done an adoption. We have adopted each other. So you're as much a part of, of me and Austin and Kyle as I am a part of you. I just don't know all of you. And, uh, and I imagine it's kind of like the Lord said, it's like you're the older child being adopted because you've been your entity for so long, for a long time, 1977, right? Which I think is amazing. And uh, I, I, what has happened here is not usual. Do you realize that? Do you know what's usual when there's a crisis is division and people split. That is what's usual. And I see it. I I am seeing it from the perspective of God. This is amazing. It's crazy. It's profound. And so we're all together. And uh, I have been in my life, I have been through two church splits. Anybody been through a church split? It's very hard, isn't it? It, it, just, it almost destroys you, or it can. And I even know people today from the church split that I went through when I was in college where they still cannot even go get settled in a church home because they're still hurt from the pride and the control and the sin. And you know what? It looks especially ugly on mothers and fathers in the faith, doesn't it? It's just, it hurts us. Sin hurts us. It, we suffer from that. So I was in a church split when I was in college, and then we went through a church split when my, my uh, children were in elementary school. And so I have two sons. I have an older son, Daniel, married to Bridget, and they have three children, so I'm a grandmother. And then I have a younger son, Benjamin, who is sitting right here, and his lovely wife, Holly, who is pregnant with twins, I know, isn't that awesome? And then my husband, Dale, we've been married for almost 34 years, and he is a faithful man. And, um, you know, it, he describes the gospel in one word. That means is serve. We serve. We serve God. We serve others. You know, that's love. And that is definitely him. And, and as a family, we went through a church split and it's never, it, it, it has to do with pride. Somebody's wanting to control another person and push their way in. And it's not what God wants because it divides people and it closes people off. But you know what? What has happened here in Spice was, is amazing. You didn't do that. You didn't let that happen to you. You are seeing it from God's perspective. And when I think of it in the picture of adoption, I think adoption is God's idea. He is the one that came up 
with adoption. But I also think if the older child, I know a little bit about adoption because I've been involved in the Pregnancy Resource Center in Birmingham and also in South Austin. And I know when, the, when an older person is adopted, it's very exciting, but it's also unnerving because some things are changing. And we, a lot of people have a lot of you know, have a hard time with change, right? And so you, I think it intensifies, you know, when that, when that older child comes into the family, it intensifies the rejection they felt from their past. And they feel insecure, and they also can feel suspicious. They don't have good counseling. They feel that way because it, it seems to bring up the betrayal that they felt, from what happened to them before, and they can never go back to that. It should, have, it should have been different. That parent should have been different. But adoption is God's idea to put you in, into a new family and give you love and care and concern. I think you could also just simply be mad that it turned out like this. Does anybody relate to that? You're just mad that everything happened like it happened. Or either, I was asking Brent, I said, Brent, what did you feel like when all that went down in new, um, new life in Colorado, when their pastor had a moral failure? He's a big, known, you know, well-known guy. And he said he felt such loss and sorrow that this happened, that one person's sin that was not accountable to anybody, that really was not in community, brought sorrow and he felt a sense of detachment and then with that detachment walls come up I don't know if you feel that but I know that happens in adoption and the older person's adoption and and insecurity you feel insecure like what are we doing here like I really don't have a place or even suspicious what in the world are they doing you're bringing in a crazy creed that I don't know anything about you know, it could be that kind of thing. Of course, the creed has been around since the 4th century A.D., and it came up, obviously, you've known this, because of heresy. And so it's a great way that we declare our faith every week. So it's really awesome. So, you know, and, and sometimes I think the older, older person, my sister died when my niece was a young teenager, and she was an only child. There was no father. And so as much as we were close to each other, when that first happened, she felt like an outsider. She said, I don't have a family. And she really withdrew. So you feel like that. You feel like I'm an outsider. And, you know, I think these are just normal emotions. I think they're normal. They're not abnormal. And I think that we can say, if you do happen to feel this way, or, or they crop up every now and then, then you can say these are normal. But I, I feel like the Lord spoke to me and said, but I want to take these people to a new normal. A new normal, because God, he wants to bring us together. He didn't divide. He brought in and made us one. He made us one. One chapel, the name comes from John 17, which... Jesus prayed, one of the last things he prayed for us is that we would be one. And so, actually, I want to commend you for taking a crazy step that doesn't normally happen. And now we are family. And all of you that I've met or sat with or the times that I've been here, you're, you're lovely people. I, I like it up here. I'd love it if they'd just let me come more, you know. 
but, uh, but there's a job to do. And, and, you know, if we are surrendered to Jesus, we, we do what he wants us to do. You know, it is possible to be present in body, but not really be present. Have you ever been in a situation like that? It's possible to do that. Familiarity can, can make us feel comfortable, but it is not the same as true fellowship. And sometimes the Lord disrupts our lives to stir us up so that we will do the things that we need to do. We do that to our children, don't we? Do you do that to your dogs? Stir them up to teach them something, you know. God has so much more for us. He has the fellowship of the Spirit with all the saints, with all the believers. I'm going through Colossians right now, and I'm, st- I'm stuck in the greeting. And in the greeting, so Paul is writing to the people in Colossae, and he, he has never been there, y'all. And he's writing to them, and he's just gushing out all this love. I'm praying for you. I love you, and all that. And he's saying, I have heard about your faith in Jesus, number one, and then your love for the saints. He said, I've heard about that. That encourages me. He says, I've been informed, exactly it says, I've been informed of your love in the Spirit for one another. And that's what God wants for us. Love in the Spirit. It's meaningful, it's purposeful, and it's very secure. It makes us feel like we, hey doggy. It makes us feel like we have a foundation, and that is God's intent for us. Now, I think reading the Word of God helps me to determine what is the wrong emotion or the wrong feeling that I have, and what do I need to seek God for. So, in, in what we're doing, in, in our Western mindset, I think that we, ha- we are independent. Uh, the title of this, this what we're going to talk about today, is called The Vanishing Village, if you can just roll that around in your head a while. Like, where is the village? The American mindset, we tout it. It's independent. You know, I'm going to do what I want to. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. Not really. Or either it's just too much trouble to form relationships. It's too much trouble to have friends. It's, it's too much work, or we don't like conflict. Uh, we don't like people telling us what to do. And I think the American ideal seems to elevate that, doesn't it? But, but God has a different idea. We, we are Christ and ambassadors, and you know how we achieve it? We achieve it through his body. We don't achieve it as lone rangers. So he gives us the picture of the body of Christ in Corinthians. Because, and, and we have different parts, so thank goodness. We don't have to do everything. I don't have to do your job. Thank the Lord. I can just do what it is he's equipped me to do because he gives me the time. He gives me the resources to do what he wants me to do, and he gives you the resources. But we need this community. Being exclusive or being a recluse or saying us four and no more. And we as human beings, especially when we've been hurt or life just gets the best of us, we're not feeling well, we we tend to go us four and no more because it's just too much trouble. But you know what? We bring trouble on ourselves when we have that mindset. We do. We bring trouble on ourselves because it isolates us, number one. But why is that? Why does God have it from this perspective? It's because we are people of purpose. We're, we're people of purpose. Every one of you have purpose. 
We are Christ ambassadors. We are his hands and we're his feet. We are supposed to be doing the things. We're supposed to serve others in love for one reason, and that's to bring glory to God. So perhaps they would open up their heart to him. I, I think about, well, how does the Bible, if I had to simplify it, I like to simplify things uh, for my own self so I can remember how does the Bible really simplify this idea of community? He simplifies it through love one another. Love God, love one another. And, and they love one another. In the early church, they got together, they ate together, they prayed for each other all the time. They, if somebody had a need, they took care of that. If one person hurt, they all hurt. Do you know it is hard to hurt I mean, really internally hurt for someone that you don't love and you don't really know. I mean, your heart, you can have a heart of compassion and you can feel, you know, a duty to help them. But really, when you love people, you hurt with them. And that's the kind of love that God wants us to, to have in our community. There's going to be a lot about a talk about community in the next few weeks. But this week... I'm going to just talk about one aspect of it, and that is why do I personally need community? You know, community does a lot of things, but why do I need it? So we're going to look. We're going to start looking at 1 John, all right? So I think the scriptures will be up there, and um, you can just follow along as I read it. It gives us insight. 1 John 1, 1 through 4. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it, and we testify to it. We proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. He's talking about Jesus. A lot of words to tell him about Jesus. We saw Jesus. We were with him. We proclaim to you that we have seen and heard Jesus so that you may also have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make your joy complete. So they saw it. They heard. Now they were telling others that they can experience this fellowship in the light so that they could also experience fellowship with God the Father, the Son, and with each other. Did you catch that? So the idea of community comes from God, that's on your notes if you're a note taker and you like to fill in the blanks, God is the word there. So the idea of community comes from God. The Godhead himself is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's the very nature of it. And that, that relationship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is a covenant relationship. It is a loyal covenant love that is faithful and with you to the bitter end. That's the kind of love that God wants us to have with one another. That's what kind of love is supposed to be in marriages. The only thing we see in our society that is like covenant love is a marriage, and a lot of times we don't get a good picture of that. But that's what it's supposed to be. You have, that have been married a really long time, you are in covenant love. You could teach us a thing or two about that kind of love. L- look at this quote by um, John Ortberg. Connectedness is not the same, same thing as knowing many people. People may have many contacts and many networks, but they may not have many friends. It just boils down to having friends. And we can be connected, especially in our society. We are so connected, aren't we? All the social media, 
the news is constantly going. We are connected of what's going on in the world. It's pretty scary sometimes. But friendships are different. It's hard to have friendships unless you're very intentional and you get down to the nitty-gritty on Facebook or Twitter. It is, isn't it? I'm not saying it's impossible. I don't think I would ever say that. I think some people possibly could form a friendship through that, especially if somebody lives on the other side of the world. But I have a love-hate relationship with Facebook. It's as as if some people put all their information on there and they expect you to know all about them when there's no relationship whatsoever. But I think it's great for information. Familiarity can make us feel comfortable, but it's not the same as as true friendship. We can be very familiar with something, but it's not the same as serving and loving and reaching out. And, you know, I, I think... I think I understand a little town more better than Austin. And uh, God asks us not to love the familiar because you get very familiar in the little town. He, he asks us to love his people. And, uh, you know, God took us, Dale and I, out of the familiar and put us in a place where it was totally unfamiliar to us. But yet, loving people... It's not hard to do if you get out of yourself. If it's all about me, then it's hard to do. So, you know, the, and I think the familiar seems to lull us to sleep as well. So sometimes if you're seeking God, but you're like a recluse or isolated, he might just stir you up a little bit. It may be uncomfortable to put you out there and give you some ideas. And, and, and going to sleep kind of renders us useless. And he, that purpose is not fulfilled there, you know. So I want us to consider four things that John talks about in various passages in this book that we personally need about community. So number one, I need others to walk with me. First John 1, 5 through 7 the next several verses. This is the message that we have heard from him and declare to you God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and we do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, the Son, purifies us from all sin. So if we walk in the light as Jesus is the light, we are going to have this shared life together with one another. You notice there's, there's this uh, contrast between light and dark. We'll look at the next set of scriptures, but keep that in mind. Having fellowship with, with God, having fellowship with others, loving others is light. Knowing Jesus is light. The opposite of that is darkness. All of us, the first point on, on your handout is all of us are better than one of us. You know that verse in Ecclesiastes, I think it's the fourth chapter where it says, you know, if two walk together and one fall, if one fall, then, then the other can pick it up. And if one's cold, then two are together. Three, three folds cord is not easily broken. Thank you. And so I think of that one of, uh, many of us are better than just one of us. Light means not letting secrets define us. But it's because I think the enemy, he holds us captive by things that we have in our heart and our mind, doesn't he? But light, it helps you to just to be open. It helps you to be defined by who Jesus has made you, not by what has defined you or what even has defined you as a church here, as a body here. 
You know, I, I, I don't know if you have anybody that you can share your heart with, you can share your secrets with, somebody that loves you and somebody that doesn't judge you. I have a friend like that, Rhonda, and we've been friends since the kindergarten. And so we were not real close in the beginning, but she, she lived about two blocks from me. So we went to first kindergarten, first grade, third grade, sixth grade. We went all through junior high, high school. We became college roommates, and we have loved each other ever since. And she is that kind of person. She, I call her my covenant friend because you know what? She loves me. And she knows all my warts. If you can imagine going through all those years, you know everything about everybody, and she still loves me. And I love her. And I can talk to her frankly about what I'm feeling. She can talk to me. She can, as a matter of fact, she just retired. She's a teacher, and she won Teacher of the Year. And she said, you know, I don't really boast about this, but I can tell you. Because you know what? I'm her friend, and I'm so glad she told me. She could boast to me. She could tell me so I could, could be happy with her. That is a friend. She can tell me the struggles that she is going through. And boy, has she been through some. And we have prayed together. And we have done life together. And you know what? Most of our, life, our adult life, we haven't even lived close to each other. But we are very close because she's a very dear friend of mine. And I am vulnerable, vulnerable with her. And she is vulnerable with me. The next point is fellowship is created when we are vulnerable or just open. Sometimes we think vulnerable. What does that mean? I got to share everything I ever did in the past. Well, I'm not advocating that. I'm just saying, do you have a person that you can be yourself with? You know, if the Lord has taken care of something and it doesn't bother you anymore, well, then let it lie. But if there's something that you need a confidant that you can trust, that's what God has for us. But we've got to be that kind of person as well. You know, are we that kind of person that would... Hold a confidence for someone. Are we that kind of person that would love someone, that would pray for someone, that would, you know, not even know the answer? Be vulnerable enough to say, I don't even know the answer, but I'm here for you. So community is God's answer to loneliness. We flourish when we are connected with God and people, and we languish when we are disconnected. We flourish because it's the concept of relationship that God has set forth. Do you know everything that God does is really based on relationship? It's based on this covenant that he, he is ideal. Just for example, this one was always hard for me until I understood it in, in, in the eyes of covenant, is Abraham, do y'all know about Abraham, right? Well, Abraham gave up his wife to the Pharaoh. Do y'all remember that? Because he was scared. And so actually God took up for Abraham instead of the Pharaoh. I just didn't quite understand that because Abraham was in the wrong and the Pharaoh was not. Well, one thing I learned about the Pharaoh is he thinks he's God. So God, but you know what? God had a covenant with Abraham. He didn't have a covenant with Pharaoh. Pharaoh could give a rip about God. As a matter of fact, he thought he was God. But you know what? Because God had a covenant with Abraham, he took up for Abraham it is that kind of love. God does everything based on his covenant love for us. And we see that through what Jesus did for us. Second consideration, number two, I need others to watch out for me. 1 John 2, 9 through 11. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. 
Interesting statement. But everyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. So if you claim that you are a believer and you're walking in faith, but you have hate in your heart, it says you're in darkness. Now, I didn't say that. That's what that says. However, the action of loving your brother and sister, of love, just the action of love, is going to help others not to stumble. It is gonna, it's going to produce success. Not that, you know, we all fail. But there's a difference between failing and getting back up and having support and say, you know what, you are not a failure. This is just a challenge to get you where you need to be. So loving others is going to promote success. And that's why it's important for us to be loving. There are three benefits from community. Actually, there's a whole lot more benefits than what's here. But this is really the benefits when you look at a covenant kind of love. One of them is protection. You know, on the multitude of counselors, there's safety. That's what the Proverbs tell us. Protection. We're going to be protected by those people around us. Support. I think First Thessalonians said that we need to build each other up and encourage one another. Because we need that. I need that. I love it when people do that for me. As a matter of fact, some of you in here have done that for me and for Dale at this time in our life. And it, it's so encouraging to know that you've got our back and that you're praying for us because we need that. We're seeking God. And the third thing is wisdom. Now, y'all, wisdom is smart. It's smart. Listen to this, uh, this, this proverb. I didn't put it on the board, but I found it later. It says, only fools would trust what they alone think. So if you think you have all the answers, well, what does Proverbs say? I'll read it to you. I'm not going to tell you. Only fools would trust what they alone think. But if you live by wisdom, you will do all right. That's Proverbs 28, 26, if you want to know. So we're supposed to, the, the epistles tells that we're supposed to, to build each other. We're supposed to teach each other. We're supposed to admonish each other in wisdom. Because I have blind spots. And so my blind spots needs the help of somebody else, right? That's darkness. But you know what? When we love each other, we help people with those blind spots. So community is God's answer to defeat. Because you know what? We want success. We want every, all of y'all to be successful. And in your life, in your faith, in your walk with Jesus. When you run, this is an African proverb. When you run alone, you run fast. When you run together, you run far. I mean, actually, sometimes I want to run alone because I can get there faster. I can get the job done faster, you know, because if I'm going to have to teach somebody how to do it, then that's going to take me a long time. However, when that person knows and we can do the same thing together, we get there further. It goes longer, doesn't it? The third consideration. Number three, I need others to work with me in a crisis. First John three sixteen through 20. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If, he, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Y'all see the correlation? It's like we extend our care and our love to someone, and they feel the love of God. Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. So love is simply an action. 
It is an action. It's practical, it's tangible, and it's measurable. Y'all, our definition of love does not come from the world. Now, I will say, because I was thinking about this, it doesn't come from the world because the world in movies and stuff like that says love is this romantic feeling or this feel-good fuzzy, right? But love is, is action. Love, we get our definition actually from 1 Corinthians 13. In the beginning of that is love is patient and love is kind. Now, when you're first in love, you have all the patience in the world, don't you? And you have all the kindness, and you just think that person is great. And that person that you first meet, you might be enamored with them. I really like that person. That person's great. They're just so gifted. They're just this. They're just that. But, you know, when you start seeing the blonde spots come out, then you start thinking, hmm. And they start irritating you, then you're going to need some patience. And you're going to need some kindness. And so it's very measurable. It's very tangible. It begins with that. It begins with that. The second point, God's presence settles on us when we love each other with actions. So God may be loving you through another person, or he may be loving through you to another person because his presence is there with us. We show each other who God is when we love each other. You know, crisis can either make or break a person, right? Crisis can make or break a person. It breaks my heart. As a pastor, I see this. It breaks my heart to see people in crisis that have no friends. It is so difficult. It is so difficult. I feel like I, I'm helpless to help them because there's no one else. And they look at you like, you've got to be my all in all. It's like, how can I? You know, how can I possibly be that? What, what community really supposed to be? The best time to, to prepare for a crisis is yesterday. Yes. It's yesterday. Now, we do that practically. We do that practically. Y2K, a lot of us prepared because we didn't know what was going to happen. We prepared tangibly, practically. But in relationships... When you're in a crisis and something comes up and you have community, it is not hard. And it is the most wonderful thing to have people come up. Nobody should ever have to sit in a hospital room all by themselves with nobody around. Nobody should ever have to, if they have a loved one die, be there all by themselves. But you know what? It is hard if, if, you don't, if no one knows that person. It's so difficult. And my heart goes out to that. It, ma- it makes me feel, and I'm just talking about it, I feel like I got a big old weight on my shoulders because I know of two specific scenarios right now of two single women that have no friends. And they're in a tough, tough spot. Now, we're going to be the church to them. But how can we be what the friends are supposed to be? How can you? How can one or two people do that? And we are supposed to be the good Samaritan when we know those things. And I think that's how the Lord takes care of that. But the collateral is if we invest in community all our life, when, when we are in a crisis, someone will be there for us to sit with us. And you know what? If you don't know a person and they're going through a crisis and you're just sitting there with them, it's a bit awkward for them and the person that doesn't know them. It's just a little bit more awkward. But when you know them, So that right there is one good reason to be in community, 
to have friends, to be a friend. Community is God's answer to failure. Whether we live, whether we make it, whether we flourish, or whether we don't, community is that. Here's another uh, quote from John Ortberg. Whenever there is an exchange of genuine caring, it is as as if the roots of your soul are being fed. When uh, my children were little, I had this old three-by-five card on my refrigerator, and it said, your soul is nourished when you are kind. And that is Proverbs, I think, chapter 17, something like that. Your soul is nourished when you are kind because it is good for you to reach out and love people and, and form community and relationships because it nourishes your own soul. It does that. Fourth consideration. I need others to win the war of fear. I cannot win this war of fear by myself. Our culture is fighting a war of fear. Everywhere you look, it's scary. It's scary. Everywhere you look, bad news, scary, sad news, right? And what do we need? We need to be in community because there's something about the support. There's something about the love. There's something about somebody reaching out to you because you're fearful, whatever the reason is, whether it's circumstantial, whether you're facing something in your body, whether you're just you know, struggling with something, fear can grip you because the enemy loves to do that, you know. The journalist, there's this uh, uh, periodical called the Journal of Happiness Studies, and they tried to determine what made uh, humans flourish. So they looked to see what what, what made the difference between happy people and not-so-happy people, and there was one factor that consistently you know, told them what that was. And it wasn't how much money you had or your career or your health or your security or how good you looked or your IQ or your success or any of that. It was this, and I quote, the presence of rich, deep, joy-producing, life-changing, meaningful relationships. Meaningful relationships. That's what... That's what brings to us fulfillment in our life. It really is about people, isn't it? God is about people. He's not about things. We have things. We use things. Things are good for us. But it's not what makes us happy. Uh, One example of a person that uh, had good self-worth was Winston Churchill. He had a wonderful marriage. He had deep connection with his family, with his nation, with his, his government, well, he was the government during that time, head of the government, his work, he had, he had good, meaningful relationships, but his health habits were atrocious. He never ate good. He smoked cigars constantly. He drank way too much. He never exercised. As a matter of fact, someone asked him, do you exercise? He says the only time he exercised was when he carried the casket when he was a ball, ball, ball bearer carrying the casket of his friends that did exercise. So he said, <laughs> yet he lived till he was almost 90 years old. Those are bad habits. And I'm not saying that you should treat your body like that because you are the temple of the Holy Spirit and you do want to feel good. But it just proves to you that good, healthy, strong relationships are so very important. 
<coughs> excuse me. First John 4, 16 through 21, God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are, we are to be like Jesus. There's no fear in love, but perfect, fear drives, perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us his command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Love drives out fear. The antidote of fear is not faith. You've probably heard that. It's love, according to the scriptures. It's love. Surround yourself with love. We can help each other defeat the enemy of our soul. Because, you know, we have the power to pull down strongholds. We pray that. We pull those, strong, those strongholds down that have people bound up and have the enemy. We can tell him to leave us alone. And he has, to, he has to hear us if the Spirit of God lives inside of us. says, we can help each other overcome anxieties and worries about what's going on. Circumstantial. We need people to speak truth into our lives and speak, speak love into our lives and hug us. Just give us a good hug. And let us know. I'm standing with you. I may not know what to do, but I am with you. We can help each other reach out in faith. Hebrews 10 says that we need to stir each other in love and encourage each other as we see the day drawing near. Community is God's answer to anxiety. When we were born, God gave us a boat, your life, designed to be an adventure for all your days on the earth. God also created a dock, your family, that could be the... That could be the place of safety and security to give you the courage to sell. I'm happy to say I have a dock. Actually, I have several docks. Got a dock in Birmingham. I have a dock in Belgium. I have a dock because I lived in Belgium. Have a dock here because community is there. God commands us to love one another. But how do we practically do that? We do that by connecting. In one chapel, one of the things that we have said, we want to grow larger and grow smaller at the same time. And the way that we practically do that is through groups. And you heard Tress talk about supper for six. And so I encourage you, if you feel a little timid, just step out. Just step out and say, I'm just going to go. I'm just going to be myself. You know, let me ask you a few questions. Where is your village? Do you have a village? if, If in society the village is vanishing, do you have one? When, someone go, when something goes wrong, do you at least have one friend you can easily talk to about? Do you have one or more friends that you meet with regularly, periodically, that you can share your heart with? Do you have a friend you know well enough to trust their confidentiality and that they love you as you are? And you need to be a friend like that. If you had a hard time answering yes to any of these questions, then you need to cultivate some friend friends, some friendships, you know. So I want you to close your eyes. I want you to open up your heart to the Lord. And I want to ask you something. Are you taking him serious when he says we must love one another? Are you taking him serious? Because we have a job to do. We have a mission. And ask him how you're doing as a friend. Let me pray. Father, I know that it's time for us to rise up and be people that love 
people that fellowship with one another and have community. We want that to define us, Lord. I pray that you start with us, that you start with me. Father, I pray that you start this in our hearts today, that we realize that, that I've got to do my part as well, that I've got to be a friend to someone. Father, help us not to live life alone. Help us to connect with others, especially if we have a difficult time with that, Lord. I pray that you would give them the strength, that you would give them the revelation to see that you've called them to love. Lord, I want for us to, to experience real community, genuine, authentic relationships, r- real friends. I want for us, Lord, to live a life the way you plan for us to live so that the message of your great love will go out and they'll know that we love you. The simplicity of this, Lord, sometimes just really evades us. Help us to take your command to love one another to heart and speak to our hearts. Help us to see it from your perspective, Lord. And I pray this in your name. Amen.